In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, Let there be light. And there was light. God saw that the light was good, and he separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. And God said, Let there be a vault between the waters to separate water from water. So God made the vault and separated the water under the vault from the water above it. And it was so. God called the vault sky. And there was evening and there was morning the second day. And God said, Let the water under the sky be gathered to one place and let dry ground appear. And it was so. God called the dry ground land, and the gathered waters he called seas, and God saw that it was good. Then God said, Let the land produce vegetation, seed-bearing plants and trees on the land that bear fruit with seed in it, according to their various kinds. And it was so. The land produced vegetation, plants bearing seed according to their kinds, and God saw that it was good. And there was evening, and there was morning the third day. And God said, Let there be lights in the vault of the sky to separate the day from the night, and let them serve as signs to mark sacred times and days and years, and let them be lights in the vault of the sky to give light on the earth. And it was so. God made two great lights, the greater light to govern the day, and the lesser night light to govern the night. He also made the stars. God set them in the vault of the sky to give light on the earth, to govern the day and the night, and to separate light from darkness. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the fourth day. And God said, Let the water teem with living creatures, and let birds fly above the earth across the vault of the sky. So God created the great creatures of the sea and every living thing with which the water teems and that moves about in it according to their kinds and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. God blessed them and said, Be fruitful and increase in number and fill the water in the seas and let the birds increase on the earth. And there was evening and there was morning the fifth day. And God said, Let the land produce living creatures, the livestock, the creatures that move along the ground, and the wild animals, each according to its kind. And it was so. God made the wild animals, the livestock, and all the creatures that move along the ground, all according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky 
and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds in the sky and all the creatures that move along the ground, everything that has the breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing, so on the seventh day he rested from all of his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. Uh, good morning. Uh, I'm Pastor Andrew, and we are indeed starting a new sermon series this morning. It is called The Story. We are going to be taking the time over the next actually three summers. We are going to be investing ourselves in this story, in traveling through God's story, the great God's story. And so this summer, we are starting it off beginning in the beginning. We're going to be starting off with the opening chapter today, looking at that beginning point of where the story then takes off from there. And uh, this story is a big one, it is a long one, and it is a good one. In fact, it is still ongoing to this very day. We call it the biblical story. It is a story that is based out of the Bible itself. And uh, the Bible is a collection of books. Inside of it are different perspectives, different uh, genres. There's poetry, there's, there's history, there's all sorts of stuff inside the Bible that all compile together to, to weave together to make this incredible biblical narrative, the Bible's story, if you will. And in culture today, story is something that's really important to us. Story is something that can elicit emotion. Story is something that, that brings purpose and meaning. It speaks at a very cultural level. It speaks today in a whole whole of ways through written material, through stories that happen through screens, and, and, and story is something that helps propel us forward and make understanding and meaning in life. By examining this particular story, the biblical story, our hope is to expand our understanding of what God is doing and to bring meaning and purpose to our lives, to help us understand our own personal stories as part of and in light of God's ongoing story. I want to lift up to you uh, just a couple of resources. So if you do have your Bible this morning, you want to uh, bring it out or a Bible app, we're going to be doing a, uh, jumping around a bunch, so feel free to pull the half sheet out as well. I want to lift up to you a, a resource that uh, feel free if you want to look into it. Um, this is the story. This is a paraphrase of the Bible. What uh, some scholars did is they took all of the biblical stories in, in the Bible itself the Bible is not in chronological order, and what they did is they took the Bible and they wove it together into much more of what you would be accustomed to reading as like a narrative. And so if you are interested in looking into this, you can find it on Amazon, you can find it at, at Barnes & Noble, wherever. It's just another uh, way of getting into God's ongoing story. So I want to make that, uh, just lift that up for you. But as we think about story and as we get into this story, we are going to learn a lot about whose story this really is, who is the author, and, and who are the characters of this story. When you talk about Genesis and you begin with the, the beginning, um, how many of you have heard that story that you just heard read before? Have you heard that before? 
Okay, so a lot of you have heard that before. Uh, many of us uh, Christians, non-Christians, sometimes we get interested about like what the Bible has to say, and so we work up the motivation, and we sit down, and we start reading, right? And we just start at page one, and that lasts for like two days, and then it <laughs> kind of tapers off from there, right? So many of you probably have read that story or heard that story before. Um, it is, is, is a huge starting point for us. If, 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 if you're seeking to understand the big story, it's a great place for us to really begin. It sets the stage for our understanding of what the biblical story all is about. See, I think a lot of people, when they come to that chapter and then when they talk about the starting and the beginning and in the beginning, they they come to it with the expectation that the Bible is going to answer the question of how. How did this all come to be? How did this all arrive? How did this happen? And, And what's so interesting about the Bible is that you can't make the Bible fit into a simple, easy box. It kind of, it, it works on you. You don't really go to work on it as much as it works on you. And what you find is that the Bible actually has a very clear message for us as it relates to this beginning story. You see, the Bible is trying to communicate something incredibly important related to the big story, and that is who this big story is about. Who is this big story about? Who are the main characters? What, 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 who are the people? Who, who is it that we are going to be traveling with over this long narrative? And so you, when you open the Bible, one of the words that you are going to be hearing over and over and over that you just heard read is going to be one key word, and it's going to tell you a lot about who this story is about. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The spirit of the God was hovering over the waters. God said, God saw, God called, God made, God said again. Then God did some more stuff. Guess who the opening chapter is all about, answering the question of who is this book about? It arrives at the conclusion the main character of our story is God. You see, this this big story begins by showing us and telling us God created. God is a creator God. He formed and he fashioned, and everything that follows from this point onward in the story begins with this character of God. God spoke into being. God created in the vastness, the heavens and the earth and the animals and the sea and the this and the that. And that's all setting the stage for your understanding and my understanding that this biblical story has to do first and foremost with God. The biblical translation that is used is God, but the Hebrew word underneath it is Elohim. It's a word that is associated with creation, associated with majesty and might. It is a word that it literally translates as God. It's more of an office. It's more of a, uh, a title that we give. Okay, And so the idea is we have this creator God that we are trying to, 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 to learn about and get to know at the very beginning of the story, it begins with him. And so we know right up front, the Bible is trying to teach us, the Bible is trying to tell us who the main characters are. First and foremost, it's God. And not only is he kind of the main character, but he would be what we'd call the protagonist. You ever heard that word before, protagonist? Yeah, he's like the hero, okay? 
Like you got every good story has heroes and villains, right? I mean, every good story has, has rising action and a climax, and it's got epilogues and prologues and this and that, right? And, and, and the Bible is no different. The Bible has a hero. It has a protagonist. It has someone that we are kind of traveling with, rooting for, who's, under, who's going to undergo a challenge, who's going to face difficulty, who's going to be put in challenging circumstances where they have to make choices and decisions. And in this case, in, in the Bible's case, that hero that we are going to walk with is actually God himself. The beginning of the Bible starts us off by saying God is the main character and he's the hero. Now what's cool about this is that he's not alone. There actually are more main characters than just God himself. You have God as creator And we actually understand and already know the second major character in the story. God, creator, actually created. So you have creator God and you have his creation. You have in the biblical story God making things. He's doing and creating and fashioning things. And now he is in relationship with his creation. That means that this story, the two main characters, are God as creator and that which he has made and created. The entire biblical narrative has to do with tracking this relationship between these two entities, these two characters, creator God and his creation. And in the beginning, let me tell you, their relationship, when God created everything, it was, it was good. Did you guys hear that word repeated a couple times? Do you hear the word good? In fact, at the very end, it, it, it describes it as very good. In the beginning of the Bible, as it opens up the first chapter, God is a main character who is in relationship with his creation, and everything is very good. And so we understand God as creator in relationship to this creation. And we set ourselves up for more of the story. What's also unique and what's interesting about the Bible is I mentioned before that the Bible has a host of different, different genres inside of it. It has different vantage points and perspectives. And what's so neat about it is that it is shortly thereafter, right after this first chapter on, on creation, there's actually a second creation story. There's a second creation story. You probably didn't even know about this one. You got to go to seminary to know this one. Sorry, it's true. But now you know. There's actually two. There's two creation stories where we all of a sudden get a whole new perspective on the exact same thing, trying to communicate and convey something that's unique and different that we didn't necessarily pick up in the first part. In the first part, we introduced ourselves to the two main characters, creator God and his creation. In the second part we learn something really important. That is, we learn more about who this creator God is. What is his character? What is his makeup? Who is this God? What what are his characteristics? How does he make decisions? We get to know God on a whole new and much more intimate level. The word that all of a sudden begins to be used is Yahweh. You ever heard the word Yahweh before? Bump into that somewhere? Some of you had none? Okay, so Yahweh... Is, is, is a word for God that is actually his name. It's like his first name. It's like his first name. So I'll use myself as an example. Pastor is a title 
Pastor is an office, and so like Elohim in the beginning, that word that was used at the first part, God, that's a title, that's an office, right? When you get to Yahweh, you're getting his first name. You're getting that creator God's intimate, close, personal name. Names are powerful and names are meaningful. So much so in the Bible that the the, the Jewish scribes would never actually write Yahweh. It was too meaningful and too powerful to write God's own name. And so they actually would write the Lord. Have you ever seen in the Bible, if you ever open up the Bible before and you see the Lord, underline it, underscore it, that's a moment of intimacy. Because what the author is conveying is, is, is God's own name, Yahweh. And the author is trying to get you to understand something intimate about who this creator God really is. Let me show you a couple examples. We learn very quickly on that God is powerful. He speaks things into being and boom, it happens. He says, let there be light. And there was light. Yeah, boom, done. He speaks and it is so. We also learn that God is playful. God's playful. He's recreational. God likes to kick back with a brewski on the lake, put his feet up. He chills out on the seventh day. He likes to relax and enjoys the reality of playfulness and rest. This is part of who this creator God is. We learn that God is generous. This is a big one here at Christ Church. You want to... We talk about radical generosity all the time. And look at where generosity pops up for the first time. Yeah, that would be like the first chapter of the Bible. We start to see generosity prominently associated with God himself. This is one of the first things we learn about God. God is a generous, giving God. He gives. He is generous. He gives to you every seed-bearing plant on the whole face of the earth something to eat. And so he provides. We also learn that God is empowering. He brings all these animals to Adam. Uh, he creates. Uh, the, uh, out of creation, he sets managers. He sets stewards or representatives of creation. That would be humankind. Mankind, humankind. We are uh, uniquely positioned as stewards in creation, being creation ourselves. Okay, And so as part of this, God is so good that he actually invites Adam to participate in what he's doing. He's like, Adam, dude, I'm making and creating because I'm a creator God. Allow me to invite you to participate by naming the animals. And so God is an empowering God. This Yahweh empowers. God is compassionate. God's looking at Adam and says, Hey, Adam, you're looking a little lonely, dude. Those long strolls on the beach, I can help you with that. Right now you're one, let me make you two. And so all of a sudden God realizes out of compassion he acts and intervenes so as to create Eve. And so now we begin to see, wow, this Yahweh has all these characteristics. We're beginning to learn more about the main character, our hero, He's playful, and he's restful, and he's compassionate, he's empowering. He is also present. Present. God walks in the garden with Adam and Eve. He's not a creator God that looks at the world, spins it like a top, and then sends it flying off, spinning somewhere. No, God is nearby. God is close. So many times we get uh, these feelings and sensations of abandonment, that God has left us alone, and that we're all... This would move... This is something... This is sharing with us, contrary to those feelings, that God is actually present. God is close. God walks with God's people. He's nearby. That's who this main character is. 
He has all of these attributes, all of these qualities that the first chapter is trying to get us to grasp. Who is this main character? He's playful and restful and compassionate and close. This is your Yahweh. This is your Elohim. This is your creator. Creation, listen, this, this is your creator. Unfortunately, I have a relationship update for you. Shortly thereafter, this relationship's going really good. It's all hunky-dory. God is there with his creation, and the story is all about the relationship, right? Unfortunately, brokenness and sin enters into the situation. Humanity, we make mistakes. We make poor decisions. We do things that are foolish. We are selfish. And we, all of a sudden, we begin to introduce uh, what the, the Christian word that sometimes we used is sin. You perhaps have heard of that word before. It creeps in, and it makes a mess of things. Yes, perhaps you've had it in your own life where you've made a mistake. You've made a poor choice. You decided to do something, and then all of a sudden, you have to live with the painful consequences of that decision because that decision can be destructive. And so the same thing happens in the biblical narrative. Adam and Eve make a destructive and poor decision, and as a result, the relationship between creator and creation is fragmented and broken. And now the story all of a sudden has tension, right? I mean, every good story has has kind of the rise and the fall. They have problems and struggles, right? This is where the biblical struggle becomes evident and real. It's made manifest very quickly. Adam and Eve start pointing fingers. There's some lying that goes on. There's some blaming that goes on. And all of a sudden, we see that that, that one generation, what started with just these kind of simple poor mistakes, grows exponentially. The destruction of sin grows exponentially. We go from lying to all of a sudden their children, there are two brothers. Have you ever heard of Cain and Abel before? They end up actually having an argument to the point where one kills the other. One murders the other. And so uh, you have one generation later, sin exponentially growing. And even beyond that, shortly thereafter, God is looking at the entirety of the world, and soon the whole world is consumed. Creation, creation itself becomes wicked. And it spirals out of control. Have you ever had that happen in your own life where you've made a decision, you've, you've done something, you've introduced something into your life, the gunk and the junk that we're so good at stumbling into, and all of a sudden you realize how quickly things spiral out of control? That's the way sin and brokenness works. It grows exponentially fast. And so now there's this tension in the story, this question rises to the surface on what is God, this creator, going to do about his creation that's running away and doing foolish things? What is God going to do? We know that he's compassionate. We know that he's playful. We know that he's empowering. We know that he's kind. We know that he's generous. And he's taking the time and the energy to fashion and create. There's got to be love in there. But now it's broken. And the earth is doing its own thing. Humanity's doing its own thing. How will the creator respond to his creation? This is the question of the big story. Things get to this point where the Lord looks at how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth. He's looking at the earth, and it is straight up wicked. So bad that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart 
was only evil all the time. Things are bad. And the story could come to a close real fast. God could say, I'm done with this. Forget this. Bad idea. Terrible idea. Let's, he, he could run away. He could destroy it all. In fact, a lot of people have those understandings of who God is. It's very sad but very true that a lot of people understand God as being someone who has abandoned them. Uh, God who is distant. A lot of people see God as, as this fearful God, that someone they should be afraid of who's like hiding behind a cloud waiting to jump out with a lightning bolt and fry them. Just destroy them. And this is the tension. What is God going to do? Is he going to destroy us? Is he going to leave us? What is he going to do as our creator? And here we hit upon the theme of the entire biblical narrative. The creator God. The creator God. He decides to remain utterly committed to his creation. Rather than than obliterate it, rather than wash his hands and walk away, God looks at the brokenness of the world and the fragment of their relationship and he says, I am committed to my creation. I am committed to the well-being of that which I have made, that which I love. I am committed to its restoration. I am committed to its forgiveness. I am committed to its salvation. I am committed to restoring and healing and bringing hope to my creation which has abandoned me, and yet I will not abandon it. I am committed in this relationship. I am the creator, and I will not leave my creation. I am utterly committed my creation. And the whole story from here on out is about God's commitment to creation. You begin to see it in in, in the biblical story, in the stories that are going on. You begin to see evidence of God's commitment to his creation. Look at this. So, so on the upper level, God is committed totally, utterly big, 30,000-foot level. If you go into where the biblical, like the characters of the Bible are, we begin to see how God is so committed to their healing and restoration. You look at Adam and Eve, and they, there's some lies and deception that goes on, and there's some blaming, and there's guilt that goes on, and all of a sudden it's hard between him. And, and, and God looks at Adam and Eve and says, wow, you've introduced brokenness. Rather than allowing you to reach your hand out and grab from the tree of life and eat of a fruit and live forever. Basically, rather than allowing you to stay broken and allowing pain and suffering and hurt in, in the midst of our creation forever, I'm going to banish you and I'm going to introduce death. I'm going to actually introduce death as a means of one day saving you. Because I'm so committed to you, I'm actually going to allow and provide for that which kills death itself Because I know as God and as creator that I can bring new life. I can promise eternal life after death. There is something beyond death itself. And so death becomes actually grace. It becomes a gift. And he even goes a step further. He goes beyond that. And Adam and Eve are naked and they're ashamed and they're embarrassed and 
God says, I will provide for your needs. I'll provide skins for you. And so God is the first one to actually commit bloodshed. He sacrifices animals. God gives up others in his creation so as to provide for Adam and Eve. And he makes skins of these animals and he provides for Adam and Eve as they go. A sign of his commitment to them, to their well-being and the possibility of life in the future. Even with Cain and Abel, the brothers that have, have the deal, and they, they, there's murder that goes on. Rather than murder the murderer, God comes to him and, and make, make no mistake, there is judgment. There are consequences to our decisions, yes? There are consequences to bad decisions. We have to live with those consequences. There is judgment related to that stuff. And we know it. We live it every day. And yet God comes to him and says, I will cast you out and yet I will protect you. Because he says, God, somebody's going to kill me. Someone heard that I murdered my own brother. I'm going to die. God says, I will protect you. And so he places a seal on him, a mark. And so wherever he goes, he has a measure of protection. So God, God is committed to saving and healing and providing for liars. God is committed to saving and healing and providing opportunity for murderers. And even when you get to the reality of wickedness where it's so taken a hold of the entire world, things are so bad. God's looking at the world and there's just straight up wickedness everywhere. God looks and he finds one person, one person who he says is righteous and has a right heart. And rather than destroy everybody, he says, look, I'm going to try something with this one person. Rather than destroy everything, wipe it all out, just walk away from my creation, completely obliterate it, God says, I'm going to try this with Noah. And so he, he, he cuts away the cancer of wickedness in the world. And he destroys everyone but Noah. And everything but Noah. With the hope and the promise that, yes, maybe with Noah things can be made right. And so even when the world is completely broken and sick, God still looks for a way to bring healing, hope, and salvation. Because God is utterly committed to his creation. The creator is utterly committed to the well-being of his creation. This brings it all the way down to ourselves, in our own stories. This beginning chapter, this opening of Genesis, the beginning of the story, I hope that it speaks into your life in understanding that God, Elohim, Yahweh, the eternal creator, that he, he formed you, he fashioned you, he was part of this whole creative process. I'm not worried about the how, I'm telling you that somehow he was involved in this. This was part, he's a creator, this is what he does as creator. He created you. And he is totally, utterly, absolutely, unwaveringly committed to you, his creation. Regardless of the gunk that happens in our lives, regardless of the stuff that we chase after, that we introduce, the lies, the cheating, the hurt, the pain, stuff that we readily invite, stuff that we even chase after. 
Even so, even then, wherever you are, whatever is going on in your life, you need to know today you have a creator God who is totally, utterly, completely committed to you and your well-being, to your restoration, to your healing, to a future, to new life. Wherever you're at, wherever you're going, this God who began in the very beginning, he was there. This story that he has been working to unveil and reveal, you are part of this story. Your story, my story, where ours is currently being written right now. And what's amazing that we, as part of this story, have a hero. We have a God. We have a creator who is working in your life, utterly committed to your well-being. And this is only the first chapter. My prayer is that as you go about your week, you would remember how committed God is to you and your life and begin to see how he is so there and present and how he is committed as you begin to read the Bible, as we walk through this over the next number of weeks, you are going to begin to see more and more the levels and the depths of his commitment to his people, his commitment to you. Let's close with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, Creator God, in your goodness, you decided to step forward and create. You formed and fashioned out of nothing, and you made us your creation. We are humbled to be given life. We confess to you that too often we do indeed invite sin and brokenness into our world, into our lives. We confess that. And we turn to you as our hero in this story. We turn to you and we ask you, save us. We ask you this because we know of your commitment. The unwavering, absolute, loving commitment you have for us. And we are confident that you will indeed forever and ever be committed to us. We thank you. We praise you. Through the, we call upon the name of the greatest commitment of all, Christ himself. We pray all this through him. Amen.